Right, we anticipate the arrival of Christ, both uh, now as the Advent season, the, as we anticipate the birth of Christ, and then ultimately anticipate in his return. But Advent and the Christmas holidays are actually a time of expectation relationally with other people, right? Uh, usually the holidays is a time where you see maybe family and friends who you've not seen in a while. Uh, maybe it's a time for you to connect with old friends. You know, you, you all go back to your hometown and you see friends maybe from high school or from college you haven't seen in a while. Or it's a time to connect with family, you know, relatives maybe who live far away. You only see them uh, once a year or every other year or however that works out. And so often it can be a good thing to see people you've not seen in a while, but it sometimes can bring up uh, you know, the brokenness that we experience and maybe forget about, right? I mean, there's a disconnect we have with other people. Sometimes it can't be helped. It's geographic, right? I mean, some of you are from a different state, but you live here now. And so there's a, a geographic disconnect you have with your family and friends from your past. But when you get together, you realize that disconnect is there. Or sometimes maybe it's a relational disconnect. Maybe there are family members or friends that you have kind of lost touch with and you're not as close to as you used to be. And so the holidays can be a time of great celebration, but sometimes, maybe it's just me, but sometimes you realize it's a, it's a time to realize kind of the disconnect you have, and it can kind of make you a little sad, perhaps, See, the holidays can not only display, you know, the good things and the, the good news of God at work in us, but often it exposes the brokenness. Am I right? I mean, maybe it's something you experience in your life personally or in your family, or just turn on the news and see uh, an example of brokenness uh, from the Black Friday shopping extravaganza that happened, right? There's actually a website I stumbled across called blackfridaydeathcount.com. And, and it's legit. It has its sites. There were actually, according to this website this morning, there were seven deaths and 70 injuries nationwide from Black Friday shopping. That's amazing. I mean, the holidays are a time for us to get together and celebrate what's going on in our lives and, and to reconnect. But also it shows our brokenness. And that's one example. Seven people died shopping. That's unbelievable. Seventy people were injured. That's an example of human brokenness. Right? This is symptomatic of our brokenness and our disconnect from God, and we have skewed priorities, we have skewed understanding of the meaning of the season. And often we try to find our way to reconnect back to God, right? We say, wow, I mean, there's so much brokenness. There's geographic disconnect from my family or there's relational disconnect or we have skewed priorities because we're going to literally trample people for a DVD player and kill somebody for a material possession. And so we, we, we see the brokenness around us and often we step back and say, the holidays, it's a time for us to reconnect to God. Right? We want to reconnect to God. We want to reconnect with others. We want to reconnect to the priorities of not trampling people, but actually you know, loving and serving people with the good news. But see, the problem often is that brokenness cannot be remedied on our own. In our brokenness, we try to remedy the brokenness just by doing more broken things, Right? We think, well, maybe if I can uh, have a better you know, religious spirituality, maybe that will make me closer to God. 
Or maybe if I can uh, behave in a different way around certain family members, maybe I can reconnect to my family. Or maybe if I can implement some sort of good moral service code for this season, that'll make me a better person. But in the end, those things are just further symptoms of our brokenness. Because there's no religious spirituality you can implement to get yourself closer to God. There is no uh, good moral framework you can place yourself in to make yourself more likable to your relatives or to friends or family. Or there's no uh, action plan you can place and implement in your life to uh, modify your behavior to make yourself more acceptable or connected. So we often try to deal with our brokenness by implementing more brokenness. But here's some good news for you and for me and for all of us. The scripture tells us that we have a great high priest, Jesus. That Jesus is the one who steps into human history to remedy our brokenness, not only to put a salve on the symptoms but rather to deal with the brokenness at its core. And this is good news for us because we look at our brokenness, our relational brokenness between us and God, our relational brokenness between each other, our skewed priorities to trample people for material possessions, and then into that mess, Jesus steps with grace and mercy and help for some broken people. And that's great news. That's the best gift we can give you this holiday season. So I want us to look at these couple verses uh, today and over the next couple Sundays as we look at Jesus being our true great high priest. Scripture says this, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A couple things I want us to look at this morning as we uh, begin the Advent season together. First, I want us to look at the identity and work of Jesus as our great high priest. And then secondly, our response to that good news. Okay, first, let's look at the identity and work of Jesus as our great high priest. Okay, you and I don't maybe always, uh, we're not super familiar maybe with uh, priestly things. We say, what is Jesus, our great high priest, wears a collar? What does that mean? No, um, in first century Jewish culture, the time in, in which this book was written, uh, the author is trying to give us a framework to understand what Jesus has done for his people. Let's say for Jesus being a great high priest uh, comes from this great heritage. You can look in the book of Leviticus uh, for some of this. You can see that, um, that priests served various functions for God's people. And there were priests who would um, go to the temple and make sacrifices on behalf of, of the people for the atonement of their sin. Right, So it was the priest's job to be a representative to step into the holy place with the atoning blood of a sacrificial animal to, to plead for God's mercy on behalf of the people. And so the priest would do this every year. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, a, Le, a Levitical priest would, would approach the, the, enter the Holy of Holies with the blood of atonement and, and to come in and to plead God's mercy and forgiveness on behalf of the people. And then he would walk out and next year would do the same thing. So every year, year after year, uh, a high priest would walk in, make an atonement on behalf of the people. 
But here's the good news that Scripture tells us, is that Jesus is not just um, one of many high priests. Scripture tells us that he is a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Right? See, Jesus did not only pass through uh, from the common area into the holy area making atonement uh, once and then having to do it again next year. He did it once for all. Whereas a human priest would walk in one time a year, Jesus made atonement once and for all. Where a Levitical priest would use the blood of a sacrificial animal, Jesus shed his own blood for our atonement. And the good news is that Jesus, as our great high priest, has done it once for all. And that is good news for us. But see, Jesus is a priest, but we have to understand what makes him different. Because you may be in this room today saying, hey, man, I'm here because it's Christmas time. I don't really know how I feel about this Jesus. I mean, he was a great moral teacher. He was one of many good prophets. And and maybe he was one of many of God's uh, chosen people. But let me tell you what's different about Jesus. You see, there was a great lineage of Levitical priests for generations that did this work. But Jesus was different. Jesus, as our great high priest, is not just serving in a functional role as a priest doing atoning things, but rather Jesus has the identity of being both fully God and fully man. And Scripture tells us this right here. His identity as being fully God is right here in verse 14. It says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. All right, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. Or the Lord is my salvation. I mean, his very name means the Lord is doing the saving. And this is such good news for us. Because we walk into the Advent season thinking we we have relational disconnect between us and God. We have relational disconnect between us and each other. Our priorities are skewed. Our motivations are skewed. We need uh, need to be redeemed and remedied out of this brokenness. And Jesus comes in as the great high priest. Not just one of many, but the final great high priest. Not the one who says, here's some, some blood of an animal, but rather here's my own blood. Not just stepping through a, a curtain into the Holy of Holies, but stepping through the heavens on our behalf. And he is fully God because Jesus, his name means the Lord saves. And then scripture tells us that he is the son of God. That's great news. So when we look at Jesus as our great high priest, he is not a man going to intercede before God. He is God going to intercede before God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, Jesus is doing what only God can do. Jesus is God saving God's people. That's great news. Jesus, the Lord saves, is what his name means. He is the Son of God. Jesus is fully God doing what only God can do. And that is once and for all bringing atonement for the forgiveness of sin, making all things right, and that is good news. But you see, Jesus is not only fully God, he is also fully man. And this is a mystery that is hard for you and I to grasp because there is no one like Jesus. It's hard to have a metaphor to compare him to because there is no one like him. He is the one and only fully God, fully man ever, right? So Jesus is fully God, the Lord saves and Jesus is fully man. See what scripture says here is, is we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Do you hear the implications of that? 
What the author is telling us is that Jesus, the Lord saves, the Son of God, God incarnate, coming as a great high priest, is not just some uh, divine, detached, ethereal being, but rather he is fully man as well. Jesus, being fully man, is, is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but Scripture says, in every respect, has been tempted as we are. I was thinking about that this morning. It's hard for me to grasp because my, my brain feels almost, almost dirty thinking. I was like, well, does that mean that Jesus was tempted with lust? Does that mean that Jesus was tempted with greed? Was, was Jesus, Jesus tempted in his anger to do things that would not honor the Lord? I mean, was Jesus uh, tempted with doubt and disbelief? I mean, I feel almost heretical thinking, but Scripture tells us Jesus, being fully God, was also fully man. It was tempted in every respect as we are. So, friends, this is good news for you and I, to think that the God of the universe who created everything out of nothing sets foot into human history to rescue you from your brokenness. But he does so not as some detached, ethereal force, but one who has set foot into our human brokenness and has experienced every temptation that you experience. Think about that. What what is it that you struggle with, like, time and time again? What is it? Are you just an angry person? You don't know why? Are you tempted in your anger to say or do things that dishonor God and hurt people? What is it that you struggle with? Do you struggle with greed? I mean, this time of year is, is really hard. You're just like, man, I don't want to spend a dime on that guy. You just, you know, did you trample people on Black Friday to buy something for yourself? Huh? Everybody else is trampling for other people. That's not as bad, but you go, you go buy something for yourself. Shame on you. What is it that you struggle with the most? What temptations? It could be something emotional. Something spiritual, something very physical. I mean, do you have sexual temptation? Do you have uh, emotional doubts and disbelief? Do you have uh, material fixations that are, that are just pulling you away from God? Jesus was tempted in the same way. He was. And this is what's so good about that is, as you can look, and you know, often I used to, when I was younger, I was so like, well, man, if Jesus, he was tempted that, he, he pulled through, I should be able to pull through. no. <laughs> No, but rather to say, wow, what grace God has, what mercy he's extending to his people that that he would set foot into our brokenness and experience that brokenness and that temptation and that hurt and those doubts and fears and struggles yet pull through on the other side on our behalf. What grace God has. The fact that Jesus would do that for broken people that trample each other for things. That's good news for you and I. And so I want us to see the identity and the work of Jesus as our great high priest. He, his work as a priest is once for all because he is fully God and fully man. Jesus is the Lord's saving of his people. The whole theme of the Bible is, is pointing us to Jesus because the whole theme of the Bible is broken people being saved by God and rescued by God time and time again. And Jesus comes in and says, I am the final great high priest, once and for all, atoning my people, rescuing them, redeeming them. And I'm doing so because I am fully God and only God can approach the throne of God. 
without being burned to a crisp, right? Boom. And then only man can feel the temptation and come out on the other side unscathed. And only, only a man can, can deal with that sin and feel that, feel that tension within. And Jesus did that. And Scripture says he was tempted in every way, but never sinned. I mean, Jesus was the perfect man, the only perfect man who ever lived. He was tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. So here's the good news for me and you as we see that Jesus, his identity is uh, God incarnate, fully God, fully man. His work is being our great high priest, bringing atonement for us. So, so what do we do with that? I mean, I want to just give you some great theological constructs so you can walk out of here and be extra smart. All of you are brilliant people anyway. I'm intimidated right now. What I want us to do is have practical responses to this good news, right? We can't walk out of here saying, well, Jesus is my great high priest. We need to walk out of there saying, well, Jesus is my great high priest. This is what we do next. What I don't want you to hear is me say, um, do this, do X, Y, and Z, and then God will accept you. Or do X, Y, and Z, and then God will approve of you. Or do X, Y, and Z, and you'll be a better person. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, wow, because Jesus is God incarnate, and he has done these great things for his people to rescue him. Here's how we are to respond. A couple things I want to tell you. Scripture tells us this. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Scripture tells us because Jesus is God, because Jesus is man, because Jesus is our great high priest, we respond by holding fast our confession. This is something we do both as belief and in action. Holding fast our confession means that we have a uh, personal, relational uh, announcement of what we believe. Belief is, is ongoing relational trust. Belief is not just adhering to some idea. Belief is actually a relational trust that is an ongoing thing. And that's hard for many of us who are raised in a Christian context. We think, well, I believe this, check, I believe that, check, I believe this, check. But it has no impact on your life. I can tell you those checkmark things, Satan believes those things. He does. He knows that they're true, right? Check. You know, you know, Satan knows that Jesus is God, check, right? I'm not putting you on par with him. I'm just saying there's a difference between knowing something to be true and having a relational trust in someone. Biblical faith, biblical belief is ongoing relational trust in the person and work of Jesus. To say we hold fast our confession, to say, to say that our confession of faith is not just saying this is true, but rather look at the impact. Let me show you how much I am going to trust Jesus to be my priest. Let me show you that I can trust Jesus to deal with my sin because he was tempted in every way as I am, yet he is extending grace and mercy to me because he has atoned by his blood my sin. What does that look like then? That means you're not going to do better and try harder to impress the Lord because you know there's nothing you can do to impress him. But rather saying, I'm trusting you, Jesus, that in my brokenness you are bringing restoration and healing and atonement of my sin. See, Austin 
We try to trust the wrong things. We try to trust the wrong people. We try to trust ourselves. I mean, I'm guilty of it. I'm just thinking, man, if I could just know the Bible better, if I could just you know, be a little more disciplined in my spiritual disciplines, if I could just do this better, and I find myself just ridden with guilt thinking I'm not on par, I'll be honest with you, with other pastors, with other preachers, with other men of the faith, I'm thinking, man, those guys are legit. I'm just some goofball that knows how to read. And in the end, I take a step back and think it's not, belief is not just filling your brain with ideas, but rather practicing ongoing relational trust in who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And that's hard. It's much easier to file away a five-syllable vocabulary word in your noggin, right? That's easy. But it's hard to wake up tomorrow morning and say, you know, I don't like my job. I like my job, by the way. But tomorrow, maybe you'll go to work and say, I don't like my job. I don't like my coworker. You go home for lunch and say, man, tension with my spouse is just killing me. Or my, my kids are giving me a hard time. Or kids, you may be like, man, my parents are so overbearing. Where's the gospel in this? Or your friends, you'll have conflict at work or at school. But let me tell you, belief, holding fast to our confession, is not just being able to ramble off some awesome historical catechism, but rather applying the implications of that good news here and here. Right? I know so many people that are just so full of awesome theology, but they're relationally mean people. And you're like, man, you don't even know the gospel. Well, I know this catechism. Good for you. You're a jerk. Right? I'm just saying. I'll give you their numbers, man. They'll t- I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I'm the same way because I have my idols. Because I find my trust and my belief and my confidence in other things other than Jesus. And therefore need to repent. And that's what scripture tells us is because Jesus is our great high priest, because he's fully God, fully man, and he has done the work of a priest on our behalf, we don't have to. Not with our brains, not with our good moral living, but rather we are to hold fast our confession of faith, that ongoing relational trust in Jesus that we tell people about, but also show by the implications of our life. And look, this is not a one-time thing only. It is an ongoing action. And by the way, man, I'm not mock- mocking history. I love history. I, I like catechisms, by the way. I, ha- I read the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Okay, I'm a nerd. Love it. I'm just saying. My hope is not in that document. My hope is in Christ. I want your hope to be in Christ, too. Don't want to offend anybody. Let's talk about the Bible. Okay, it's not only an ongoing confession of faith, but it's, an, or it's not only a one-time confession of faith, but it's an ongoing action with confidence. This is what Scripture says. This blew my mind this week. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Do you know what the word confidence means there? I, I thought, man, it just meant like you're kind of like just you know bold and just like chest puffed out like, yeah. I'm in. I'm going to approach the throne of grace. Mm, Just all like legit and tough. That's what I thought that word meant. That's not what it means. And actually, I was like studying this word, and and the the Greek word in the New Testament, the original writing, the word that was used there is a word that means uh, free and open speech. It means like a bold uh, frankness. Like just kind of telling it like it is, right? So it's not a, a cocky, arrogant, like puffed up, like I'm going to approach the throne of grace because I'm freaking awesome. But rather it's a very humble thing. 
Because if you can speak with bold confidence, if you can speak with free and open speech, if you can just tell it like it is, it's a humble thing. Here's why. For Scripture to tell us that we approach the throne of grace with confidence is for us to walk up to the Lord, not saying, I'm confident, but rather saying, I'm a mess, and you saved me. I mean, to approach the throne with confidence is not a prideful thing. It's a very humbling thing. To, to tell it like it is is to say, I am a smart-mouthed, smart aleck, fickle sinner, and you saved me. Why did you do that? Your grace, your mercy, not me. I bring nothing to this relationship but brokenness, and you, out of your goodness, decided to save me. That's telling it like it is. That's good news. To approach the throne with confidence is not filled with pride at all, nor is it filled with guilt. But rather the bold frankness, the free and open speech is confessing relational trust in Jesus saying, God, I am not worthy to be anywhere near your throne, but thank you for your son Jesus who was fully God, fully man, my great high priest who was atoned for my sin and brokenness and foolishness and pride and stupidity. And you've atoned me from that. Therefore, I'm here. God, thank you. That's what that means. Changes everything, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Because I can tell you, man, if you just first read that with confidence, it'll do nothing but puff you up in pride if you think confidence means, well, I am a chosen one. I am so smart. I am so religious. I I have such confidence in my polished style or my multiple seminary degrees or my whatever. You can have such confidence in your resume of good things. And at the end of the day, that's not confidence at all. That's pride. And when we approach the throne of grace, we approach it with confidence. Confidence is not pride. Confidence is bold frankness, telling it like it is, saying, I am a disaster apart from God's intervention. And God is so good, so gracious, so merciful to save a wretch like me. And I tell you, friends, that's a far better gospel than any other kind of just instruction. I mean, that's far better news, is it not? To know that you can approach God as you are because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to impress anybody. You don't have to impress anybody in this room. Here's some more implications. Because being with confidence, free and open speech, bold frankness, it means we can, here's what it tells us. We can draw near the throne of grace. We will receive mercy and find help. That excites me. And this is what I'm hoping and praying we will experience as a church called Redemption Church is I want us together to experience drawing near the throne of grace with confidence and there receive mercy and find help. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you in your past or even present think when you need help, the church is the last place you'll go? Just think about that. Friends, it saddens me that in my just a decade of ministry experience, I've seen so many people hit a moment of crisis, and they don't feel like a church is where they can go to find help. They'll, they'll, they'll seek help elsewhere. I mean, whether it, whether it be uh, spiritual issues or counseling related or you know even medical stuff. I mean, sometimes their church is the last to know. And I'm thinking, well, why? 
And it's because in our hearts and in our actions, we've not seen that we can draw near the throne of grace together, that we can receive mercy, or we can find help in our time of need. But my hope and prayer is that God would do such a thing in this room, in, this, in our midst, is that we would know that we can approach God with confidence you know, knowing, just telling it like it is, that we could experience that as a community together. How remarkable would that be if, we could, if you could come here and say, well, I'm part of Redemption Church because at Redemption Church I'm building relationships with others that we can draw near the throne of grace together, that we can receive mercy together, we can find grace to help in a time of need together. So that we could be confident saying that we can just with bold frankness, with free and open speech, just say, hey, man, I want to just tell you the sin I've struggled with. Here's the bad news. I've got this sin and it's wrecking my soul. Here's the good news. Jesus was tempted with that same sin, but he didn't sin. And he is my great high priest and he has given me his atonement because he's fully man and fully God. Wouldn't that be great? Don't you want that? I want that. I want one day to stand up here and just lay out my sins and you guys just throw all kinds of grace at me. I'm selfish. I want some grace. <laughs> it's not your grace to give. It's God's grace to give. So since we're at his throne together, it's not that big of a deal. Right? We just approach the throne of grace together. I say, hey, I need a little grace. You say, hey, we're at the throne of grace together. There it is. Boom, boom. What do you need? You need that? Great, great. Boom, boom, boom. That's how it works in my brain. It makes sense to me. Just get in here and it'll make sense to you. So in closing, I want to say this. Um, over the next couple of weeks, we are going to camp out on the implications of Jesus being our great high priest. We're going to continue into chapter 5 and see more of the implications of Jesus being our great high priest. But this is what I want us to take away. And, uh, and forgive me if any part of this has seemed flippant and smart aleck. It's not meant to be. Okay, God's redeeming that part of me, so I'm sorry if I'm like, and you're like, man, he's so flippant. I don't mean to be. Please forgive me. Give me some grace. Give me some mercy. Let me look to Jesus for help in my time of need. I'm absolutely terrified right now. I'll just tell you guys. But here's what I want us to know when we walk away. Is that Jesus is our perfect high priest. He once for all, as scripture says, has stepped through the heavens once for all to atone for your sins. So if you're here today and you were carrying all kind of baggage and you're like, man, you don't know how dirty I am. You don't know the sin I struggle with. You don't know the thing that has plagued my brain and my body and my emotions for years. Jesus does. Jesus knows. Jesus was tempted in the exact same way. Just the dirtiest sin you're struggling with, Jesus was tempted the exact same way. And the good news is that that's what gives you confidence to approach the throne of grace for mercy and help. It's good news, friends. Scripture doesn't say Jesus was tempted, he came out on the other side, therefore shame on you. That's not what Scripture says. No matter how dark your sin, no matter how dirty your struggle Jesus knows, and he was tempted the exact same way. And on your behalf, he is your great high priest. You were clean. You were no longer defined by that sin, by that struggle, by that thought, by that feeling, by that thing you did or have done or are doing. You're not defined by that anymore. You have atonement in Christ, in Christ alone. And that's such good news. Because Jesus is your great high priest. And for all of us as a community together, it is my hope and prayer that we can be um, those who are experiencing this, this confidence 
together, that we are holding fast that confession that we can tell each other. I mean, we often say here we want to be a church that's leading people to Jesus to lead people to Jesus. That's not just an evangelistic thing. That's an ongoing discipleship thing because the moment we sin or struggle or or get prideful, we've lost sight of Jesus. We need somebody to point us back to Jesus. And so we want to be leading people to Jesus to lead people to Jesus. So as my hope and prayer as a community together, we will hold fast that confession with our words and deeds to confess how good Jesus is and how much grace and mercy and help he is giving us because of who he is, not what we've done or who we are. And that this good news would ripple from here. So if you were a non-Christian, it is my hope and prayer that you would have this belief, this trust in Jesus. And if you want to talk to me or anybody here about what that looks like, we would love to talk with you about being a Christian, about following Jesus, about uh, belief and faith and trust in Christ and what he's done for you. And if you're here and you are a Christian, uh, I would invite you to join me in repenting of sin, repenting of idols, repenting of brokenness, repenting of doubts, and then believing the good news, the relational trust of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that missionally we together would take this good news uh, to your marriage, right, to your family, when you see family at the holidays, what better way, what better gift can you give than saying, let me tell you about, let me tell you about Jesus, right? The grace and mercy we have from God through Christ. Your friends, those in your neighborhood. So let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning, a few minutes to open your word together. God, I thank you uh, that you redeem our brokenness. God, that you would save sinners. Lord, that you would save a wretch like me. God, we're full of doubts and weakness and sin and brokenness. And God, we try to remedy those things with pride and performance, which are just other examples of brokenness. And so, God, I thank you that in your mercy, you set foot into human history, fully man, fully God as our great high priest, offering atonement. Jesus, by your blood, you wash us clean so that we are no longer defined by the sins of our past, nor are we defined by our performance in the present. But Jesus, we are defined as being your covenant people because of your goodness to us. You you adopt us into the family of God to be sons and daughters. You adopt us into the kingdom to be princes and princesses. And so, Lord, I pray that this good news would resonate in our brains and in our hearts, God, that we would hold fast the confession, God, that this, this faith would not only be something we can say. That's so important, Lord. We need to profess this good news. We need to proclaim this good news. Indeed, we do. But may we also um, hold fast to that confession by displaying the implications of the gospel in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we approach your throne with confidence that this is not uh, a misguided, prideful walking into your presence, Lord, but it would be a humbling thing that you would save us. And that as we bow before your throne, we not only look uh, at ourselves, but we look around and say, look how good God is that he would save that guy and that lady and that boy and that girl. God, that we could look around and, and rejoice in the community of sinners that you were saving me who is worst of all. So God, I thank you for your goodness to us. I pray that by your spirit you would stir us up to be a people who are passionate 
about your gospel, worshiping you for your glory, our joy, and that the good news of Jesus would advance from uh, this place to this city and beyond. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.